Oh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Newtown Theatre, show 19, my goodness. Uh, welcome a man who yesterday backstage met Moira from Molly and Mac and has never been more delighted, even though you don't know who that is. It's Richard Herring! In danger of not making the mic before the applause stopped there, but just did it. Phew. That was close, that's a cardinal sin, uh, and really your fault. Uh, the audience here, not mine. Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming along. Uh, welcome to Richard Herring's Lily Snake Train podcast. Um, I was just sitting in Wagon Mamas and hadn't managed to think of an acronym, and I asked my daughter, can you name something that begins with la and certain turn? That's what she came up with, which is actually better than most of mine. Lily Snake Train. She's got a friend called Lily. Um, I'm, I'm impressed you can do letters, I have to say. Uh, but I was hanging around uh, with the Watch Gang, uh, the other day, I mentioned them, not by name. Uh, they're, uh, they come out, it's an ad that pops up on Facebook. You, get a, you can get a different designer luxury watch every month. They send you a new one every month. Uh, and there's a box that you keep 12 in. I don't know if you stay with them for more than a year if you get more. I would say it's too many watches for me personally. If I'm going to have a luxury, it says it's almost too much to believe, isn't it? It's hard to believe. No, it's easy to believe. It would be hard to believe if, you, if I didn't have to pay for them, but I'm, I'm presuming I haven't clicked on to find how much it costs, but I imagine a lot. Uh, anyway, they call it Rahalastopus, so don't worry. That is, that is, I don't know if that will catch on. I met, yeah, I've got the woman after. I don't know if she's on again today. Uh, she plays Moira in Molly and Max. She's actually a very well-known actor and a singer, I think. Um, but I've only seen her on Molly and Mac, which is a children's show. Uh, and she's a Scottish lady. And every time she, the, the show opens, it's a very, got some very catchy songs. And it opens with her saying, the big hub is open. Um, and I managed not to do that in her face. She was delighted. It's a, good, it's a good show if you haven't seen it. Oops. Oh, no. That's one of the songs that's good. I've got an idea. I've got an idea. Oh, no, I'm going to have to pay them royalties. Um, so I'm very, I met the, I'm, I actually was in a hotel with two of the other cast members of Molly and Mac in uh, July in Glasgow. Uh, but I, I nearly went up to them and started doing that as well, but I resisted it. It was the dad and the beardy bloke. If you're up to speed on Molly and Mac, which no one seems to be, it's just me. I've been up since five o'clock this morning. It's for the second day in a row. This is going to be a weird, weird podcast. I can promise you that. It's either going to be genius or terrible. Uh, thank you uh, to Liam, who let me know that Prince Andrew's back in the news. I don't know, he's... Uh, He's also uh, emailed in to complain about the sound on the podcast. He's, a, he's an audiophile, apparently. That is... Anything... He's, he's all kinds of files. Anything he loves... Anything with a file, he wants to have a go at. That's the thing with... That's the uh, bibliophile, francophile. Oh, no, no. I can't, can't think of any of this. Uh, I hate people who love things, personally. And I love people who hate things. So that is... That's me. Uh, and uh, my producer, James Hingley, is getting a few people on Twitter, very few people on Twitter have said that the sound levels at home are bad, which they are wrong. Uh, and my producer, James Hingley, is very upset about it because he work, he's working. He's been crying. He's been crying. Come off and he's crying. And Rich, please tell me it's all right. And it's all right. Every day, let's see, you can hear him crying in the background. <laughs> He's very furious about it. He goes out every day. This show, he's doing four other shows and he manages to get this show up on the day every day for the fucking lazy fuckers at home. We can't even bother to come to Edinburgh to watch it. They're tight little, oh, I'll have it for free at home. Fuck them. So I'd like to give James Hingley a massive round of applause for his terrific work. Um, uh, and I'm, I am getting very tired, I have to say, uh, but every single time I see a headline about Amazon on fire, every time... I think it's the delivery company, and, uh, and I go, oh, fuck, I've got a phone case coming. I hope it's all right. Then I click on the link, find out it's just some trees are burning down. Who cares? That's fine. Get your priorities right. So, yeah, that is mordant, isn't it? It was a mordant uh, joke as we considered the death of our planet there at the end. Jude, that was what it was about, that joke. So let's crack on. Uh, my first guest today is probably best known for appearing in the BBC show in 1994 called Two Golden Balls. That's what's... Not Golden Balls, it wasn't the one with Jasper Carrot, it was Two Golden Balls. He's not on the IMDb page, but he claims he was in it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's George Egg, ladies and gentlemen, here he comes. George Egg. Thank you, George. Welcome. Hello, come in, sit down. Yeah, sit down, sit down. 
Hello. How are you doing at this late stage of the fringe? I'm all right. Okay. I mean, I am exhausted. Yeah. But um, but yeah, no, I'm fine. Okay. I'm getting there. Only three more shows to go. Yeah. So that's well, right. after this, it's only two. I'm counting this as done. Right. Good. So I'm, I'm in my mind. <laughs> this is two. I'm treading water through this one. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how it goes. So, two golden balls. What, what, what was that show? Uh, uh, it had quite well, a good cast. Well, I it? was in an extras agency okay. called Bother Boots okay. when I was in my. Well, when was this? 94. So I, I think it was been, in the mid 90s. I yeah. would have been 21 then. Right. And, uh, and it was an extras agency for people with shaved heads and tattoos and all that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, and it was a little film with. God, I can't remember who was in it even. Anyway, I was playing. I was in in a, a visiting room in a hospital okay. and uh, visiting my mum in prison with my dad. Cool. And uh, looking like a hard. Kim Cattrall was in it from Sex and the City. She was, wasn't she? Yeah. Yes. And also um, the uh, actor who plays the mum in Outnumbered. I can't remember her name. Oh yes, I can. Claire Skinner. Yes, she was, also she was in, in it in one of uh, my shows as well. But there you go. Good. And I did uh, some other cool things. I did yeah. an amazing, an insane job actually with them. So. They were, they were making a film uh, shooting out in Hamburg called, the, well, the working title was called In Hitler's Shadow, and uh, it ended up being called The Infiltrator, and it was about this uh, Jewish um, uh, journalist who infiltrated this group of neo-Nazis in the right. early 90s. Okay. And uh, anyway, and so they, they auditioned various, you know, skinheads-looking look, actors to, uh, to go out there, and only a couple of people got it. And uh, with the, what their intention was that they were going to employ local uh, skinheads in Germany, not realising that at that time in the early 90s there, there weren't any who weren't actual skinheads. Nobody had <laughs> shaved heads in Germany. So yeah. I got a phone call. I was still a student at the time at Brighton. And uh, I got a phone call uh, at about 10 o'clock one night saying, saying, look, they haven't managed to get anyone else out there. Are you up for going out to Hamburg tomorrow for a week? to make this film. So yeah. I said, yeah, that'd be great. And they said, look, we've got this person, we've got that person. Uh, uh, we're still looking for other people. And I said, well, my friend Matt, uh, he's got a shaved head. We're doing the same theatre degree. He could go out there and do it. And they said, well, look, we don't even know him. And I said, well, look, I'll go around and ask him if he can do it. He wasn't <laughs> even on, on the phone at the time. Yeah, this is pre-mobiles. Yeah. Uh, so I cycled around to his house, knocked on the door, um, said, we're going out to Hamburg tomorrow uh, for a week to make this film, but we've got to shave your head. Because <laughs> I just told them he had a shaved head. So he shaved his head, stayed up all night, yeah. went out there and then did a week of stage fighting and all these scenes. And, and it was insane. Yeah. Mad, mad experience. Brilliant. Mm. Well, because I've you know, i know, I've met you quite more recently. I yeah. knew you were a comedian, but I didn't realise you'd, you'd been a comedian since the mid-90s, really, the late 90s, 20 yeah. years? Yeah, well, I did my first paid 20 up the creek when I was 19, so okay, that would have yeah. been 92. 92, so yeah. almost uh, the same, t I've been going a little bit longer than you, but only a tiny little bit, which is, uh, you know, makes me realise how old I am now, looking at you. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> 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 so, uh, but yeah, you, I mean, you're a proper, um, yeah, you're a proper like alternative act, and you do it, you were doing a, then doing a variety act with, uh, with all sorts of, uh, with a big suitcase of props. Right? Yeah, yeah, I've still got my suitcase of props. I used to end my show, which I don't anymore, or very infrequently, maybe sort of, you know, once a year at Glastonbury at Mavericks yeah. or something, where I got naked on stage at the end. I put a coat hanger through my earring hole and then to a piece of music, yeah. just hang each, each item of clothing on that until I was naked. But of course it was hanging in front. Yes. So See, I'm sure I decent. saw that. I'm sure I saw yeah. that. So I must have seen you without making the connection, you know, over the years. I must have seen you back in the in the 90s because that was that was a great. But it, it is that. I mean, you work with people like Jim Tavray and Martin Soane. It's, yeah. it's the kind of real old school. Yeah, yeah. Just I mean, the tail end. Of, well, Martin's actually probably not even the tail end of the 80s alternative comedy. Is he he's sort of one of the few survivors of the proper alternative? Yes. Yeah, so I think he has officially retired now. Has he? Okay. Away. Yeah. I think he did last year. I think he did his last show. Oh, did uh, he? Yeah, because yeah. you were doing street theatre, and then and then you moved into doing doing variety in clubs. Which in the nineties there were less of those kind of eccentric acts. There were still a few of those more eccentric acts, but the, but yeah, yeah, it seems to be having this sort of renaissance yeah. now, doesn't it, with people like Spencer Jones and, yes. and so on. Um, yes, but but certainly when I started, there was me and there was Steve Best, and you know a few total oddballs like the Iceman. Yeah, uh, but um, but beyond that, yeah, I was I kind of. Well, I would say I, I stood out, but I also stood out, I think, amongst my peers and that there was a lot of slight sniffiness of kind of like, oh, well, that's not really stand-up. Yeah. And now there's loads of people doing it and yeah. it's like, no, yeah, you see it. Well, it was a weird time in the 90s. Cause actually, then I think the 90s stand-up scene was, was a bit 
similar. Everyone was a bit the same. Oh, it yeah, wasn't actually that good. And, and it was yeah. actually, it was, you know, the 80s at least had the right onness, and, and then the 90s wasn't even really that right on. It was that kind of new lad. There yeah. was a lot of men, you know, talking about the same sort of thing. I include myself within this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was, a bit, it was a bit boring, you know. So it, it, having someone like... Uh, like you cropping up on a bill must have been. I think you say somewhere about having two people cropping up on a bill doing variety stuff. Oh yeah, no, that was always a nightmare. Yeah, the real for the second yeah, one. Yes, like sort of Noel Britton or Jim Terry or someone like that would be yeah. real. Like you know, can I go first because you don't want to follow <laughs> someone else using props. It's so absurd that you know you can have you know two male stand-ups doing similar material. And everyone's completely happy with yeah. it, but you get someone with props followed by someone else with props. Everyone's like, we've seen this, even if it's completely uh, different material. And I mean, you literally had a huge briefcase. That you, I mean, yeah. it was the sort of biggest briefcase in the world, or the second. You built it as the second biggest briefcase. In yes, the world. I thought it was funnier to say <laughs> it's the second biggest, <laughs> but I think it was the biggest. <laughs> but well, did, it was his. Well, actually, here's the funny thing. I have because I've still I still do sets with my sure. my big case, and the one I've got now is the second biggest <laughs> because. So the first one, yeah. me and Martin Sohn built it because you know he makes loads of props. So I said to him, look, you know, I've got this idea for a giant briefcase. Uh, can you make it for me? And he said, well, look, let's. Let's make it together because I've made props for other people and they've said, oh, this is wrong and that's wrong. So, so he said, come and stay with me for a weekend. I've got this studio at the end of the garden. So I stayed at his house and we built this giant briefcase. And we built it as big as possible to go in the boot of my car. Right. Not realising that the Saab 9000 that I had at the time had a, a, a considerably more capacious boot than other, other cars. Right. So I did it so it was absolutely, you know, millimetre, just as big as it could be. And then when that car broke and I ended up, you know, I was looking for another car, I was finding it, wasn't, it wouldn't fit and I'd have to actually take it, take the case with me to places and say, look, I need to see if I can get this giant briefcase in the boot of the car. Um, and uh, anyway, and then when it started getting a bit tatty, I, I made one slightly smaller oh, that would sorry. not just fit in the boot of most cars, but also was just within the limits for taking it on a plane. Right. So that then I didn't have all the hassle with oversight. Well, I was going to say, it must. I mean, that's, that's why I feel with Spencer as well, who I did have on earlier in the run, talking about just, you're a very international act because you, you did your act all over the yeah, world. Yeah, And so you've got to take that with you everywhere you go. Well, the case, that's yeah. fine. With the shows I'm doing now, the cooking yeah. shows, it's, it's mad yeah. because I've got so much. I mean, this current show, I've got a cement mixer. I've got a real engine. <laughs> yeah. I've got a big engine stand and stuff like that. But um, I did the first cooking show that I did where uh, set in a hotel room. Uh, I had a minibar fridge in that and a trouser press, and I did that in New Zealand. Right. And the people in New Zealand were, were great. They were so supportive. They actually sourced the, the items, and they're, they're, they're both, like, trick ones. So the, right. the trouser press has... It's got a trick so that you can take a whole loaf of bread out of it, even though it's completely flat, and the, um, the fridge just has a, a, an incredibly powerful light in it, so when you open it, and the stage is dark. It's like the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they, uh, well, the, the, one of the ladies who, who worked at the venue, her dad basically made to my specification, made the props. Wow. Yeah, so when I went out there, they were all ready. So oh, that that's was, good. That was great. And then you can, you can do the tape face thing and have a George egg in New Zealand. I have any number of George eggs. Yeah, as long as they've got a shaved head and a beard and... <laughs> yeah. And a, a, a portly stature, then uh, it's fine. <laughs> so how did you, let's, let's talk about that, because obviously that's what you are probably best known for now is the, is the cooking shows. Yeah. How, how did you, how did that, you chance across that, and how, how did you have the idea for the first one, which was the one in the, using items in a hotel room to cook with? Well, that came because I was doing it. Right. So I was doing <laughs> circuit gigs and, and spending, you know, spending a weekend in a hotel uh, and ending the gig hungry, adrenaline fueled, feeling a bit mischievous uh, and thought well I'll start playing around with the hotel equipment seeing what I can cook you know <laughs> start by ironing pita bread and then putting hot dogs in the kettle and then getting a bit more advanced doing more marinier you know things like that yeah and uh, really did room stank <laughs> of fish and burning um, but uh, and then I did well the, the way that that turned into a show so I'd never done Edinburgh I'd never done anything beyond you know 20-30 minute sets uh, and I'd done uh, Robin Ince's Nine Lessons and Carols for sort of the previous... This was in 2013, and I'd done the last two or three years. Mm -hmm. uh, and in 2013, he had... Um, I think he did ten nights. And I said, look, can I, can I do all of them? Because it was just such a joy doing those rather than yeah. doing Christmas gigs. It was so horrible. And I thought, I just want to be part of the gang and do that. And he said, yep, you can, but you've got to come up with something new because I was just doing bits of my normal set, really, yeah. chopped up. Um, so I, I wrote a ten-minute cooking on irons thing 
uh, did that and it worked really well. And then someone from Brighton Fringe came up to me and said, well, why don't you do Brighton Fringe? So I booked in to do Brighton Fringe. And then once I you know, got this deadline where I had to have an hour show, then wrote the show. And then that was really successful. So I took it to, to Edinburgh. And then off the success of that, realized I've got to, you know, just got to keep down yeah. this, this path. I've yeah. got, I found a niche that <laughs> I'm comfortable in and um, people seem to like my yeah. own genre. You know. Well, it is. No one else has, I can't think of anyone else who's done anything really even remotely similar no. to this. No, so well, it's, it really, a, it's crazy that that's the. That <laughs> and there's no, it. and there's no, I mean, that's the thing. I think it. I think it's got it's got pros and well it's got pros in that I think audiences like it because it is totally different and it is genreless and yeah it's yeah. stand up there's there's loads of jokes in there and there's loads of you know uh, uh, visual jokes and everything but it is actually cooking and that you really do get to taste the food and uh, and it's and it is kind of like a sort of lecture where you know you're sort of inspiring people I hope to be a bit more imaginative and think yeah. outside the box and so on um, but there isn't so that's great for audiences but I think as far as critics go I find people like things in boxes and so it can be a brilliantly entertaining show and I and yeah I'll come off and I'll know it's it's killed and the audience is all gone away going god that was mad that was totally different yeah and then I'll get a review which will say yeah yeah it's great but it's not really stand up and it's like well, I'm not pretending it is you know <laughs> but they like they like these pigeons. I think holes. in Edinburgh they do that's what I, th- I was mm. um I was talking to Sarah Kendall about it because she's doing storytelling and then People complaining about the level, of how funny it is, you know, whether yeah. it's whether it's fun enough all the way through. You go, well, you know, it's what it is. Don't review what yeah. you want the night to be. You've well, got to review it for what it is. And if it's if it's if there are bits, if it's trying to be funny and failing, that's one thing. But yeah. if it's, I mean, and, and it is funny as well. But you know, if there are bits that are serious, then that's what she's chosen to do. Yeah. So it's kind of nuts when I just that's my worst thing when reviewers review the show they want to have seen rather than yes, that's perfect the, the, <laughs> the yeah, show that really they is, have seen. Though? But I mean, also fuck them. I mean, it's I've, you know, I've seen you, you. We did a gig together. I think at the science museum or something yeah. didn't we and it's it's a you know it's an astonishing thing to see it's just so original and it's and it's fun and it's, it's silly fun and, and it's, it's yeah like you say you you're coming out with these you think oh well this 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 will fall down and then oh no fuck look there he's done yeah. another one done and you've managed to well you've done three different shows with it and you've chosen different so you did a show with diy tools yes yeah, so the lot so the first one was hotel second yeah. one was yeah in a shed with, yeah. with power tools and then this one is travel so uh things like um, on the train, so I've got a laptop that I've converted so you can secretly cook on the train. <laughs> it's got hot plates in it. Uh, I've got um, a big flamethrower that you'd use for getting the road markings off. Yeah. Do mackerel with that and a metal hubcap. <laughs> and then a real engine running on the stage. That's your chicken on the exhaust manifold. Put that in a cement mixer with loads of nice salad and uh, <laughs> make a lovely chicken Caesar. <laughs> but you do you, you are you are a good chef as well. You do you did a food yeah. blog for a while and there's some really good recipes, mm. oh, like no, proper so recipes on there. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I I, I think I realised I th- when I when I started doing the cooking shows, it was it kind of coincided with a time when I was thinking maybe I'll stop doing comedy. Maybe I've had enough. I've been doing it long enough. And uh, I did. I started a, a PGCE and did did the two weeks in the university and then went to a secondary school and that evening got a phone call from my mentor saying the deputy heads asked you not to wear your skull ring or, or your earring right. and I just thought I can't do a job where people are telling me because I've never done a real job at all so um, so gave up that and then it kind of and, and the whole time I've been doing stand-up I've been really into cooking anyway yeah and it just felt like yeah it just felt like it really clicked and now I'm yeah just doing the two things that yeah, my two real passions, and it. I mean, it's funny work. how it works like that, I and mean, I think, and it's funny how it can take a while to get to something like that. But also, I think without that, ten, fifteen years beforehand, where you were doing your other act and your other stuff, which, I, as you say, you're still doing, you wouldn't have, you know, you wouldn't have made that. Sh- you wouldn't have had the. Oh yeah, the, certainly. And then I think the also coming up here when I did uh, in 2015 for the first time yeah. after after you know over two decades of doing stand-up yeah i think people were kind of like oh god this guy really knows what he's doing yeah <laughs> and it's like well yeah we've got a lot of, uh, i mean that's it again I was, i've been talking about it with with various of the sort of the more club comedians who do come up here which is not very many club comedians mm. do come up here but that they, you know there is this vast army of really fantastically adept and you know tr- and you're doing it every night you know when, yeah. you're, when you're out doing a, uh, something every night you and you do it and you're still 45 and you're still doing it yeah. then you've, you've got to be good at it the thing with comedy as well especially if you're not known you're not a name name you've got to be good haven't you otherwise yeah. you, you don't you literally don't Definitely. get work I mean I think the problem with maybe a lot of club comics who come up to Edinburgh I, I assume I don't know but is that they have their 20 30 minutes and then go well I've got to do an hour and yeah. just try and 
do that and actually it's a very different skill whereas I think my approach of going right this is a whole new thing you know I've never done any of the cooking stuff in in club you know in in comedy clubs Um, and so actually yeah having a whole new idea but using the skills but writing a whole new thing I think that's a better way of, yeah, of yeah. approaching it it's fantastic I mean we it, talking about it doesn't really do it justice though you've done very well <laughs> making it sound good <laughs> which is like which but if you do go and see the show if you haven't if you've never seen oh George, yeah do it, what, let's give the de- <laughs> let's give the details of the show for, and if you're touring it as well if you, wh- okay wh- so uh, it's at 4.30 uh, every day uh, until Sunday so there's three more at um, the Piccolo in George Square Gardens, Assembly of George Square Gardens, which is a brilliant venue for it as well, because right. it's, it's, uh, it's got a raked, uh, uh, the seats are all raked, there's no one on the same level as me, so you can see what I'm doing, and the smells waft up, and, and it really, you know, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's like a sort of uh, operating theatre kind of vibe. Um, it literally is, because I'm <laughs> fell at a fish. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and then after Edinburgh, I'm touring it. Uh, I've got dates up until uh, December, and then we're going to hopefully put more in uh, from January onwards. Great. I mean, I, just, I love it. I mean, I, I love all of entertainment and how ridiculous it is that people make a living doing stuff. But it's, you know, when someone finds that niche thing that they can do, like uh, they, we went to see The Amazing Bubble Man with my kids. Yeah. And, you know, that's a guy literally just using surface tension on soap to make, yeah. a, to make I assume, a pretty fantastic living. He was selling a lot of merchandise and selling out to 300 people a day. So he's made, you know, presumably a millionaire on the back of being able to blow a it's bubble. It's great, yeah. Oh, no, it really does feel like that. Yeah. that this, this is so nice that I'm doing... I mean, I really do love doing the show. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a job. It but it, but like you know, and I think as a comedian, you can look at other comedians sometimes and go, oh, I couldn't understand how they got there or what they did there. But that's the, when you do something, someone says, oh, well, I'm going to cook with stuff in a hotel. You go, yeah, come on, you'll get five minutes out of that. So the, the imagine, it's, obviously it's the skill and the imagination and, yeah. the, and the, it's that DIY talent as well, isn't it? And understanding how mm. things work. Yeah, oh no, I'm really into that. So you've, got, so you've got all these skills that bring it together. But I, I just... I just like. How would someone in the Middle Ages feel if the, if you told them? I mean, they'd be they'd be amazed, but you'd be king because you could you oh, could I'd, I'd you could kick these, things with electricity. One of these thrones. You would you'd be king and queen. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> and I was going to ask you. You do, you've done some. You've taught a degree in comedy as well. Is that? Is that I did. Yes. In fact, I said earlier that, that I didn't was, have a real job. I did very briefly do a bit of teaching on. There was a degree in comedy at Southampton right. Solent University, and it was. I, it was awful. I mean, right. it was just... I mean, because you can't... And, and so I went in there and basically I... Well, it was, it was run by a guy who uh, wasn't a stand-up and thought that all the students should be doing is writing stand-up and doing stand-up. And I went in there saying, no, that's what anyone can do. So this is an environment where they should be doing everything. They should be doing sketches and, and cartoons and making films and doing silent stuff and clowning and really being as experimental because that's you yeah. know when I went to, to Brighton and did this degree in visual and performing arts which was just so broad and you could do anything and that's you know that environment when you can play that's that's where you should be doing that and then off the back of that that's when you start honing your stuff afterwards and working out what's sellable yeah. and so he was trying to do stuff that was sellable and and it was awful and so I ended up sort of saying to them look you know you've got to uh you just got to get out there and do it, and and um, uh, and, and I, so I got very uh, uh, disenfranchised with it. And then on the last day, because uh, I talked to them a lot about you know what what do you eat, and loads of them were going, oh, we just go to the pub every night and have dinner. I was going, this is insane, you know. So on the last day, I bought a great big tray of eggs in and a little portable cooker, and I said, we're not doing any comedy today. I'm going to teach you all how to cook an omelette. <laughs> and I showed them how to do a really good omelette, and then they all lined up and they all made omelettes, and we just had omelettes, and then yeah. I gave them these little cards with. Sort of these these sort of affirmations on that I'd written, right? Like, uh, well, uh, with you can't make an omelet without breaking any eggs and that sort of thing as well. <laughs> uh, and then left. <laughs> so <laughs> it's good, but that's what you know. And to be honest, that's what people need to be taught. Yeah, that? Larry Dean was one of my students. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, just when I he was in his last year when I started doing some business yeah. lecturing there. It's sort of a weird thing to try and teach comedy but a lot of people do like a little comedy the Jackson's Lane comedy courses mm. I mean, it's, it's that extra thing to give you the push but like studying academically in order to do it is a sort yeah. of yeah oh no it was just a, I, I think yeah certainly comedy courses are brilliant and they're really valuable but I think yeah as a degree yeah it's just 
I mean, I, mean, I did a degree about in history and just did comedy instead of doing the degree. But that's that's well, how that's, you learn how to fine. do comedy. <laughs> but no one was sitting. T- thank God, because I wouldn't have given any uh, of my essays in. <laughs> that's why. That's why I ended up being a comedian. Uh, uh, what, so what you've done some German television as well? Is, is this doing your act in German? They did a show. I'm just interested in called. I need to introduce you as uh, Schmidt. Schmittenander. Yeah, what's that show, Schmittenander? It was kind of like a sort of Letterman-style show. This was when I was still a student. So it was mad. So I was doing doing street entertaining while I was still a student, and then I got... There was this guy called Achim Roder who ran the Cologne Comedy Festival. Yeah. And uh, and he'd seen me... I don't know if he'd seen a video or something like that. Would have been a video, like VHS. Uh, And, um, yeah, and he just got in touch and said, do you want to do this TV show? And I used to do this, you know, it's an old trip where you bang the nail in your head, you know, when it goes up your nose. Um, So they flew me out there when I was still (laughs) at art school, essentially, and uh, went out there, did this. So I didn't talk, so it was just, they had this, I was in a garage, and they were all talking in German, and then the garage door went up, and I banged the nail in my face, pulled it out, waved, garage door came down, (laughs) and I flew home. (laughs) With a nice check. It is. It's good. So, That's show business. Mm. I think you said somewhere on your website that your, t- you know, your t- the tutors and uh, staff at the uni- when you were at art college sl- slightly resented the fact you were earning more money. Than oh yeah. <laughs> no. I re- yeah. Yeah. No. They were because they were all, I suppose, sort of struggling performance yeah. artists who weren't really making anything, and I was actually. Yeah. Getting tele gigs. Staple fivers to your head, mate. That's what you need to do in order yes. to make some money. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. There's a great clip of uh, George George's act, uh, act uh, on uh, on his website, which uh, from the again I think from the 90s or maybe the early 2000s. You've got up on your website, which yeah. is well worth watching. Let me ask you a couple of quick emergency questions okay. before you rush off to prepare. Yes, so this is your problem my, with my your mise en place. I've yeah. got like 90 minute mise en place, <laughs> and then about another 90 minute tidying up at the end. So. Yeah. Real full day. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm going to ask this. I've been asking everyone this. If you could have one item from any art gallery or museum and you could take it home and keep it that's in an, any art gallery or museum in the world, is there a painting or a, an artefact you would like to own? Uh, well, no. What I would like are there's the, the benches in the Tate Modern. Okay. I really <laughs> like those. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a philistine when it comes to art. My brother is a painter yeah. and, and we, you know, we kind of... There's, you know, we, we, we don't meet in, in our <laughs> opinions. So I've said to him before, I, I really like graphics and, and uh, you know, lettering and all that kind of thing. And um, so when he was, he said to me once, you know, you know, if you could have any Picasso, what would you, what would you have? And I said, I would, if, it, if money weren't an issue, I would rather have a really good poster of Picasso exhibition <laughs> than an actual Picasso, because I like the aesthetic of all that. And he was Curious, <laughs> but when I go to art galleries, I'm more interested in. Oh, I love what they've done with the floor, and I love yeah. the hinges and the, the lights on the, you know, on the the, the handrails in the Tate and other yeah. things. So, and there's these benches, which I don't know if they're still there, but I remember they were they were oak, and they uh, they were slightly sort of curved like that, and then they got slots cut in them, and the slots were filled with a very slightly um, sort of soft resin, okay. so that when you sat on them, there was a little bit of give, okay. and they looked beautiful, like sort of armadillos. Yeah. back kind of thing. And so there must come like a point where they, you know, chuck, there's just a skip out the back and they're chucking those out. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. You just hang around back there. <laughs> with my van. <laughs> if anyone works there and has knows if there's one of those, can you yes. send it to George? I'd like one, at least one. <laughs> I think that, that seems fair enough. You know, you, that's, a, that's realistic as well. You could get one of those. Yeah. I mean, you could make one of those probably if, you, put you, if you set your mind to it. I like the idea of nicking one, yeah. like in the Thomas <laughs> Crown Affair, but rather than nicking a painting, nicking... Some furniture. I do. I like that. They're not going to be covered by the cameras, are they? <laughs> well, occasionally, like in, a, in an art gallery, there'll be like an unusual door or fire escape sign or something. You start to wonder. Oh is yeah. Modern art is that part of the? Is that part yeah, of so the much, Yeah. Someone's got a crisp bag. Everyone going. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> and I like that's what I that's when I like. I would like art when it fucks up your head and make. Hmm. Which is why I think I like comedy because you leave a comedy gig and everything's been slightly twisted yeah. and leaves you thinking about stuff differently and I don't I gen- generally don't get much out of art but if, if I've gone to some art I really like you come out and you're looking at the world and everything seems weird yeah oh yeah no I don't hate all art no. but but I'm more excited by yeah the, but I, I, like, I agree the bench is more useful isn't it yeah the, though <laughs> if you had a Picasso you could probably buy as many benches yes well that's the thing if it's the money issue <laughs> if, if, it's, if it's about money I would like just whatever's the most expensive yeah. but that I could resell yeah Okay, the roof of the Sistine Chapel <laughs> taken down, stuck on your own bedroom <laughs> roof. Right, I'll ask you one question from the book, and then I'm going to let you go and uh, start preparing because okay. I'm conscious of your 
you know, your engine needing... How environmentally friendly is it to cook a chicken on a, in, in a car engine? Uh, it's horrific. And, it's, <laughs> and in the, the venue is... You have to see the show, but the venue gets... There's, you know, loads of um, exhaust okay. goes into the venue, and I have a little chat about, you know, legal amounts of radiation that you yeah. could get if you worked in a... Is there any danger of carbon station? monoxide poisoning in the... Oh, yeah. In the, yeah, good. <laughs> it's good to have some... It's good. I'll just say a line from the show. I've got a pipe coming off the engine going and I say um, I say look don't worry ladies and gentlemen because uh, the majority of the carbon monoxide is being taken off and out and into one of the other venues so uh. <laughs> <laughs> right let's see what uh, I'll ask you a philosophical question to end on okay are human beings ultimately selfish creatures uh, yeah I suppose we are aren't we really if you yeah. look at what we've done to the world yeah I mean uh, I live as a whole definitely. I'm living with two vegans up here yeah and uh, so we've had a lot of debate because obviously my i'm not vegan and i uh, i cook fish and meat in the show and yeah. so we've talked about that a lot and how and i mean i do think about it a lot and i think you know it's a direction we should all be going in really but um, it's easier said than done isn't it but yeah. yeah i think we're we're fundamentally selfish yeah oh good still it's fun isn't it yeah uh, <laughs> it's good we fucked up the world it's all right the amazon's on fire so it'll probably be okay we don't need to i'm waiting for something from amazon as well yeah yeah, yeah. I've, got, I've got my earpiece for my um my phone it got caught round the handlebars of my bicycle oh, yesterday no. and just ripped it apart completely so yeah. that's the only time i seem to be able to make phone calls home is when i'm cycling back to my accommodation <laughs> you know it's like otherwise you're just constantly busy aren't yeah, you? yeah, yeah there's yeah, no time yeah, to sit down and go ring dad so cool oh well thank you for coming in george and good luck with the thank show uh, do go and see if you get a chance it is a phenomenal act ladies and gentlemen george egg thank you if that is his real name <laughs> it might be cool lovely thank you very much oh i've had a quite a stressful morning i was up at five we went to see a, a show uh, with my kids called uh, islander it's really good but it, it was sort of billed as a kid's show and it's not a kid's show and i've got a 20 month old son who doesn't sit still and we were stuck in the back row. It was, it was stressful. Someone tweeted me about it to say if he, we took him out eventually. I mean, out of the venue, not in. <laughs> eventually, he's going to be uh, murdered. Uh, but <laughs> if he keeps playing like this. Uh, but the, we just took him out just before the show had a, a, a need for a baby crying, unfortunately. But it's annoying, isn't it, when people bring a baby into a, a play, thinking it's a kid's show? Right, it was a good show though. Do go and see it if you get the chance. Highlander at uh, the uh, oh fuck it, roundabout at the Summer House or something it's called. I can't remember, and I shouldn't be expected to be remembering things. <laughs> uh, is this real? Am I, am I awake or am I asleep? Uh, if you would like a copy of emergency questions yourself, people here in the audience, I will be selling them at the back of the uh, theatre at the uh, on your way out at the end of the show. There's a thousand and one emergency questions. That's the new book. There's the original emergency questions book. There are some sheets of stickers that you get if you buy both books, uh, or you can just buy on their own. Uh, you can get those at gofasterstrike.com if you get home. And uh, I hope you've got a program at the beginning. That is a free gift from me to you. Uh, we'll be making a collection for Scope after the show, as usual. Uh, if you feel you would like to give some money to that charity in return for the program, please feel free, but don't feel you have to. It's quite hard to find the buckets as well, so it's quite a fun game. But you can give the money to me. Again, I'm very happy to sign your programs and say hello after the show. If you are interested in that sort of thing, in selfies and things like that, nobody can do selfies. Don't need to say I can't do selfies. Literally nobody can do them. Even at this late stage in the selfie history, no one knows how to do them and no one does them the first time right. No one. I challenge you, if you can do it, I'll give you a thousand pounds. Actually, I've got someone gave me a big bunch of fake 50 pound notes, whoever that was, thank you very much the other day, uh, for me too to throw the next snooker game. <laughs> but they, I mean, they were fake 50 pound notes, but I think he still might do it. There's a big, like 5,000 pounds of fake 50 pound notes. It's quite a useful prop, thank you for that. Anyway, let's crack on. Uh, my next guest is probably best known for her guest appearance on Hoxton Radio. That's right, the whole of Hoxton have heard this person. If they, you know, they're the most pretentious people in the world, uh, and they listen to the radio ironically. Ladies and gentlemen, we please welcome Callie Beaton, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, hello. How are you doing? Come in. There's a microphone. There's water here if you need. Oh, you've got water with you. I brought water with me. Water it's vodka, it's not water. Oh, good. 
Good, good work. Yes. That is, that is required, but I imagine. I've got through the whole fringe without a drink. Have you? Yeah, and the whole of this year so far without a drink as well. But you're just high on parenting young children, I aren't am. you? Who I needs am. alcohol? I'm just high on love. The love <laughs> I feel for my son has just got me through. Love and joy. Uh, yeah. Yes. The happiness he brings <laughs> me. God, he was a prick this morning. <laughs> it's good. Good job you do love him. Um, so, uh, let's, you got quite, you were writing an article in, on uh, Chortland in the Garden this week about being, uh, and you don't look like an older comedian, but you're a slightly older comedian than some of the... I'm 50. It's unbelievable. I'll take your silence as stunned. That's absolutely <laughs> fine, yes. So, you've come to comedy quite late in life. Yes, I started when I was 45, yeah. so I'd worked behind the scenes in comedy all yeah. my life, so I've worked in television for Comedy Central and lots of the different production companies, but I only actually got into doing it on stage a little belatedly, so, um, and everyone in Edinburgh has got to have an angle, yeah. haven't they? So I was like, I'm going to write some stuff about this, I'm actually 32, but I had to think, I was getting <laughs> desperate, I was like, what am I going to say that makes me stand out? So, yeah, because yeah, everyone starts at 27. Well, people... people do start young. I mean, I did. I started young as well, I suppose. But that was a little bit rarer back in the back when I started. There was a lot of people who'd done proper jobs first and then yeah. come to stand up, which was again, I think, much. It gave you the variety of tone and experience. Yeah. But it, but it also an age. You know. So it was. It was a. It was better really than than what we get now, which is a lot, uh, just too many people. But it does take them a long time to get going as well. So like the, the flip side is when I started at 20 or 22, I suppose, when I became professional, then you know you could, you could get onto TV within four or five years if you worked hard yes. and were lucky. But now a 20-year-old probably won't get onto TV until they're 35, 36, 37, or, or won't get sort of successfully onto TV. And that doesn't all go well for me, it does doesn't, it? That's I think that's what, we're, what it, we're trying to say here. It is. Yes, so. I mean, the, on the plus side, you won't have what I have is like a sort of 10-year TV career, then a 30 or 40-year not on TV career. Because <laughs> lucky you'll be dead. So that's, that's fine. Uh, there's so. always... There's always luckily, that to look is, forward luckily. to. You're laughing a little bit too loudly, yeah. sir. Not to worry. Yeah, that's fine. None taken. Or just infirm. Just, just infirm. Oh, no, we've got to work till we're 75 now. That's Ian Duncan Smith. No, it's not long for me, as you've just pointed yeah. out. Yeah. So, yeah, that's... Uh, I'm older than you. I'm older yeah. than you. So, I know, but you've been going longer, as you have just worked have salt in the wounds about. Yeah. You had quite an interesting epiphany in how you decided to go into stand-up, though. So you were, you were someone... Yes, I'm just going to clunk a great big name drop yeah. and say you all think I'm a wanker. Nice and early on in the uh, in the interview. Yes, yeah, so um, as part of my job at Comedy Central, I used to get to meet a lot of the on-screen talent, and um, I ended up meeting the great late Joan Rivers, and ended up going um, on a sort of little mini tour around the world. And I was the boring business person trying to get people to sort of invest in the show, and she would do bits of stand-up, and I was sort of given things I should talk about from a corporate perspective, and soon realised that when it's a bunch of pissed. TV executives, you just got to make them laugh and keep them going until the person they've wanted to see comes on stage. And it was Joan who said to me um, over dinner, she said, you should do stand-up. What you've actually done for me is kind of warm-up. Yeah. I said, Joan, I'm 45. Um, I've got two kids. I'm a single mum. I've got a massive job. It's too late. And she said, darling, I'm 81. You're going to look back at this and go, why <laughs> didn't I? Uh, then she died and I took up stand-up. <laughs> so everybody was happy. Yeah. Do you think in a way you... you contributed to her death somehow yeah i think so yeah. i think so yeah her, her pa still stays in touch with me uh, there's some sort of blackmail going on i mean the good thing is when you tell a story like that about someone who's dead no one's going to argue with it so there's a lot of <laughs> lot of comedians on the circuit saying it happened to them as well yeah but, <laughs> but it did happen to me <laughs> i once met elaine stritcher a very weird um who i was a big fan of who was another very si sort of similarly she was probably a bit older than joan joan but um she, she'd been working since, she was like, actually, she'd been working since the 50, 40s or 50s in TV in America and had done Broadway and all sorts of stuff. And I met her at this very weird Christmas party for, for people who used a very posh jewellers, which was not me. Mm -hmm. I was Elton John, it was a party for Elton John and his, the hangers-on. I was the stand-up for this party. You were the turn. I was the turn. So yeah. I had to, I, as Pudding came on, I had to come and do jokes from Talking Cock, which is the show I did at that time, that there someone had seen said, oh, you'll love this Elton. And he did not love it. <laughs> he didn't love it. And I'd been talking, I'd been sat next to Elaine Stritch and talking to her about how it was a stand-up. And she'd been really encouraging and very nice. But, you know, obviously thinking, oh, you know, no one, he's nobody. And she sort of left uh, before I did my bit. But then the waiter came up to me and said, oh, Elaine uh, hung at the door to, to actually watch your act. Uh, and, uh, and as she came in, she just shook her head and went, oh, dear. 
<laughs> it's nice of him to tell me though, wasn't it? It was nice of him to let me know that and then she shortly afterwards dies. She went to her grave thinking I was a terrible comedian. I mean, that was a good show. It's fucking Elton John's. I'll get my own back on Elton John, don't you worry. So is that why you don't have a cameo in Rocket Man? That is why, that's, that, that's why he won't fly me to his private island in his private jet, I think even though I do carbon emissions, <laughs> offsetting them. Uh, but yeah, so what, what sort of things were you, were you working on? Uh, so were you always working in TV before you became... Yeah, yeah, I'd always worked in TV. I mean, I did do... I was at Goldsmiths back in the late 80s, right. and I did study drama there, and I was there at the time when all the kind of art college had people like Damien Hurst there, and Julian Clary had done my course, and so oh, right. there was a lot of that kind of stuff going around, and I was pretty sure I was going to be an actor or a presenter, um, and the only thing that stopped me doing that was that I was really shit at it. So um, then I <laughs> decided that I should get a proper job, so I sort of fell into television and ended up sort of through my career being partly on the creative side, partly on the business side, yeah. and sort of ended up being someone I hadn't, you know, you don't think about what you're going to do, and I became a single mum when my kids were very young and the sole breadwinner, so I kind of just kept going with my career, and every time people were paying me to do shit, I'd be like, well, I'll keep doing that, yeah. um, and it was only really when I had that conversation and did my first kind of open mic gig, and I thought, God, I've spent my whole life not doing the thing I wanted to do when I was 18, and I've just kind of buried it. And it is actually, the, the thought people think, you know, at 45, you might reinvent yourself and kind of study aromatherapy or go and do whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with uh, that, any aromatherapists in, but the thought of doing something like this where you you jettison status for no status. You know, yeah. I used to come to Edinburgh, and everybody wanted me to come to their shows, wanted me to come to all the parties. Now I'm kind of like, and they're like, Callie, who? So <laughs> it's, uh, I've managed to go, yeah, from sort of being paid in company shares to being paid in uh, in sort of beer tokens and dirty tenors. It's been a brilliant <laughs> life decision, honestly. I'd really recommend it. Are your, your kids grown up now, or are they, are you, are they still... Yeah, no, they've grown up um, largely uh, unaided yeah. by me. So, yeah. yes, uh, I've so got... So it gives you that yeah. freedom to do it. I'm, see, I'm stuck. I've got young kids. So yeah. I can't, I've got no escape now. I have to stay doing what But I'm you've doing. played a blinder. You've got a partner. Uh, that's the bit, <laughs> that's that, that's the bit that I... Uh, well, at the moment. Yes, the at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, I always think if you make it through these years till they're both at school, you're a bloody legend. Most yeah. people don't, and if they do, they hate each other. They're, yeah. they're alcoholics. But, you know, good luck to you. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be... <laughs> I'm sure you're going to have a lovely time. I, I can, I, it <laughs> definitely tests your love for the other person. I think if you get through the first... I mean, the first two or three years, are, and, and if there's two of them... Yeah. Or more. Yeah, yeah. The second one's worse, right? And then it's yeah, it's impossible. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, if you still like each other a bit at the end of that, yeah. then that's quite good. You're more likely to like each other more if you separate. I really like my kid's dad <laughs> because we gave up on the whole relationship okay. quite early on. We're very sort of modern, blended family. He's now with my kid's primary teacher. <laughs> I'm not bitter, and um, <laughs> everything's fine. So yeah. Uh, yeah, so my kids are. Um, my son's about to be 22. My daughter's 19. My son's an autistic zookeeper. Did you have that on your notes? I, d I didn't have the zookeeper bit. Yeah, no. you see. That's, uh, have you yeah. ever had a mother of an autistic zookeeper on the, on the podcast? Well, I don't think I have. Well, I'm glad I mentioned it. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> very glad. You don't know what to say now, do you? I was, trying to think of a, I was trying to think of a joke and then decided not to do it. <laughs> Go ahead. I do do jokes about this. Do you? You're yeah. allowed. I don't think I, I am, am allowed, allowed to. Yeah, <laughs> I've, paid, I've paid my bloody dues and I need to get something back for this. It's been a very tough couple of decades. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, yeah, it is. Well, you know, they're all difficult, these kids. They're all, it's difficult to get... Yeah, they're all fuckers. doesn't matter I whether mean, they've got special needs or not. They're all a pain <laughs> in the ass, all of them. Everyone to a letter, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so well done to everyone who's, who's got to the... the stayed with their partner. Well, you know, unless you hate your partner. That's the thing. I think a lot of people, you know... I, I wouldn't even... I do still love my wife, luckily, and I think she still loves me, amazingly. That's not what she's been saying on the circuit, well, but no, I'm, I'm glad not you... Surprised. I'm glad but you believe. I would, even if I hated her, I, just the idea of finding someone else is just too much now. Yeah, but you see, once they start school, you, yeah. the primary school teacher will just be there. You well, won't have to good. go. That's I mean, how my, my one didn't make much effort. It just kind of came to him. Yeah. So uh, there's a, always that. It's a Gary Sparrow-style <laughs> lack of uh, ambition <laughs> that, that, I, I, that I appreciate. But I don't, even if someone was... I mean, no one does. I, I've, you know, I'm 52 now. And literally nobody tries to get off of me anymore. But is that because you don't go out at night? Well, I don't go out. Yeah, so it's I hard to meet people when you're at home on the couch, unless it's your wife or one yeah. of your kids. But, yeah. you know, I go out and do gigs. And in the old days, sometimes people would try and get off with you after gigs. Yeah. Not anymore. I have the whole... That um, guy's tried, but I've, I've, said, no. <laughs> I've said no. All right, just this once. <laughs> you can blow me. I'm not touching you, Dan. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'd, I would like it if someone tried. You'd like to be able to say no. Yeah. You'd like something. It's like going to a party you don't want to go yeah. to. You want to be invited and then say, I don't want to come to your party. Yeah. But no one's inviting you. Well, I, you know, and also to prove that I love my wife because there's no, there's no, there's no, 
in, not, if no one's trying to get off with you, there's no, there's, there's no cash. It's not even real love, is it? If no, you're well, not, I can uh, say I haven't had sex with anyone else while we've been married. Because yeah, no yeah, one will. Yeah, that's lovely. It's ever so romantic. <laughs> it's what everybody, everybody wants. And what about her? Is she finding that people are making advances? I don't know. I mean, she hasn't really told. I think they will do. She's very nice. She's a very beautiful woman. So She's I'm having all the fun. So. She's having all the fun in your relationship. Yeah, she goes yeah. out and She does. A th- you know, I don't drink now. She drinks. Yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, and that professionally, she's a professional professional drinker. drinker. Yeah. That's lovely. Yeah, yeah. you've landed on your feet there. <laughs> Perfect mother of your children as well. Yeah, yeah. you've got to really think about those things yeah. before you do it. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, and I, you know, I wouldn't. It'd be annoying to not be. I'd say I, that with the kids, even if I hated my wife, I wouldn't want to not live in the same house as my. Kids. This is going to be really nice for your kids to listen back to this when they're older. Yeah. I mean, it's such a lovely. They're going to be mean, like. I don't <laughs> hate. I like her, so it's not. It's a. It's a win-win. Yeah. I like my kids and I like my wife. That's good. But yeah. if I hate my wife, I'd still want to live with my kids. And if I divorced my wife. I wouldn't live with my kids, would I? It's a very sort of nihilistic, kind of hypothetical uh, yeah. little uh, train you went on it there. Is. But it's nice. I think it's heartening. <laughs> uh, anybody you. young and in love, this is what can happen to you. <laughs> Go ahead, enjoy. Yeah, drink richly from yeah. the cup of love and life. But this is why this is why it's good to have. You know, it is good to have older voices in comedy and people who live lives. Can you stop lives. mentioning my age? It's an audio medium. I could, have, I could have been on both here as a sprightly. Good, you're the one who brought it up and wrote all the articles about it. And TV and TV. I've got a show to sell. I know. Like, you know. <laughs> but uh, there was, you know, there was there was another thing about TV saying that they they're taking comedians based on the audi- the, their audiences. I was having to get my audience yesterday because it's always good to they're do not that. a good TV audience apparently. My audience is not good for and you know you've worked on both sides of yeah, this. Yeah, no, I, I'm sort of yeah. Poacher turned gamekeeper, and because I worked, I I worked at MTV for a long time, so I worked for them a couple of times over the years. And we did the first ever reality shows before Big Brother, you know, the real world. So I was working in reality TV years and years ago, and then I've worked for all these companies that have desperately wanted beautiful 16 to 34 year olds on screen and I guess I have been a part of that that's yeah. what paid my mortgage and now here I am at 50 going why, why don't you want me on the telly <laughs> my daughter was like they can't have you on Love Island mum you can't wear a, a support tankini uh, they weren't uh, it's, it's not an option so I am aware now that but the funny thing is back in the days when I first worked for MTV you know when the Tyrannosaurus Rexes were walking around Times Square and um, and it was that's what everybody was doing. We all watched MTV. I I lived in Amsterdam for a few years and the only English language channels were MTV or the BBC. And I was a massive fan of the channel before I worked for them. But now that demographic aren't watching TV. So the fact that all the TV companies are like, we've got to cater to those people who don't watch TV or certainly don't watch it live, that is kind of frustrating. So I've just changed my tune to sort my new career. That's what's (laughs) happened there, a little switcheroo. But I agree, that's the craziness. They're trying to get young people to watch TV and young people don't. If you have a TV in a room, young people go, what is that? Yeah, absolutely. So they they, they should be chasing, you know, it's the new Last of the Summer Wine. You and me could be in it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you've really helped me have the aspirations <laughs> I want. And I really hope there's some TV commissioners listening because that's pretty much what I had in mind. So thank you for. Batty, I could be compo. Thank you for sowing the, the seed. That's my career sorted. Yeah. I said this the other day, but Richard Wilson was, I think, 52 or 54 when he got the job of Victor Meldrew in yes. One Foot in the Grave. Yes. So we could do that. I love the fact that people like Rich Wilson go around the circuit going, I started comedy late. I was, I was about 32. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, really late. Yeah, really late. But thank you. No, that's exactly what I meant when I put in that piece. Yeah. I'd like to make a bid. I was thinking more the sort of, you know, 50-something version of Fleabag, but you've got it right back <laughs> into the 1970s. And that's yeah. perfect. I'm that really, really happy with that. Do yeah. you think a middle-aged Love Island wouldn't... I think a middle-aged Love Island might work. I mean, I don't know. You wouldn't want to watch it before you had your breakfast, would you? But I suppose, uh, yeah, I suppose. Are you thinking you'd put yourself forward for that? Well, again, I'm very happily married, so... uh if I'm, if I'm, uh, I get a pass from my wife. Yeah. Oh no, I w- I'd like to go into the one with the young people. See, that's the problem. But they don't people want you in there. Watch. Nobody wants people you People want to watch there. the young people. <laughs> I don't want to watch me. Yeah, me. but if you go bowling and in your in your dad trunks, no one's yeah. going to want to watch that. It's going to ruin everything <laughs> for everybody. I don't want to piss on your party, but I don't think I think you should think of another idea to get back okay. on telly. Okay. <laughs> I've been, th- I've been trying very hard. <laughs> so, you yeah, have a go. I don't know how you say this guy's name, but uh, Jan Moy. Is that Jan Moy, M-O-I-X. I don't know why, but we shouldn't really give the man's name any airtime because, yeah, yeah he, he was the, um, some of you will know, he, he's a B-list French celebrity who hopefully has been relegated to a lower league even. And he, at the beginning of this year, he made global headlines because he said a woman at 50 is invisible. Uh, 
I know, you're very surprised, aren't you, to be seeing me here? And he, uh, and I, so I, that made me want to do the, uh, the show, really, because I, I thought, fuck you, Yamwa, I'm about to turn 50, and I've never, I've literally never been more visible because I am now on stage doing this, going around the world, and I thought, um, he then, it was quite, it was quite funny, he got um, sort of spammed by hot women in their 50s sending pictures of their tits, their arse, their, <laughs> in the end he had to put out a public plea to say, please, could you all stop spamming me with your amazing body parts? Maybe that was the whole point of him saying it, yeah, I don't know. Um, also, if you've seen the guy, I mean, I've been trying to be invisible to people like Yamwa <laughs> my whole bloody life. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so it made me think about... Um, I, I think what it is, and I said this in the Guardian piece this week, is nobody likes to be underestimated. And lots of people at different ages... Uh, there's so many stereotypes about everybody nowadays, and you're Generation X or you're a millennial. But at the end of the day, people have a certain opinion about what someone like me should be doing. And people often say to me, oh, you don't seem like a 50-year-old woman. And I'm like, well, go and meet some more 50-year-old women then, because actually, you know, we're all, yeah. you know, still doing things that you might not be expecting us to do. So the show is a kind of, yeah, it's, a, it's about a kind of fuck you to sort of stereotypes and people saying that, that people like me should be a certain way. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's the same. I think it's the same for men. I mean, I, I made this when I, my, I did a show about turning 52 years ago when I was 50. I always you was work 50. with what you've got, I don't you? I wish I was 50 yeah. now. And I, but I've, you know, I think as a man, you are also sort of, you're invisible to like younger people so you know you do you have that it is that idea when you're young you, you know it's 50 when i was young someone who was 50 you'd they're think nearly 52. dead weren't they you would just yeah. i mean i think they were though in the 1980s they were all dead there were no 50 they were either dead or they were sitting in an literally someone would get to 50 and they put a cap on and sit in an armchair with slippers on yeah and that, wait and that was just your mum yeah <laughs> yeah but uh, no it has uh, i think things uh, have changed yeah, and also we've got no bloody money so we're all going to have to keep reinventing yeah. ourselves because no one's got a pension no one can sort of do you know uh, people used to retire at 50 or 55 None of us can ever retire. We're going to be desperately shuffling along, trying to monetize whatever it is we've got. So I think, yeah, no, things have obviously changed since then. And you do end up with these, with people sort of assuming you can't try new things at a certain stage in your life. So, I mean, obviously, it's got jokes in as well. I know that sounds very earnest. It's not a TED talk. <laughs> it is a funny hour of comedy. But there's something, um, I quite like the fact that at this age, my world's getting kind of broader at a time when, theoretically, it should be getting narrower. And there is also, for women my age, um, there is the sort of whole I do get chatted up by young men there are young men I think quite like the idea that you can't get pregnant you don't want to marry them you've got your own you've got a nice place uh, to shag them in you know it's comfortable yeah. uh, maybe two bathrooms uh, and then you don't really want them to stay the night it's brilliant uh, but they do see it as a sort of charitable act they don't make any effort at all they seem to think I'll be enormously grateful uh, for their attention yeah. so uh, somewhat insulting uh, but also at least I know I'm not invisible yeah, yeah. Well, that's good for you the man in the front row is looking absolutely terrified now he's like, I really wish I hadn't come to this one. <laughs> um, uh, let's ask you an emergency question. I had something to follow up there. I was, hopefully it'll come back into my child Tired brain. brain. Yeah, I was out partying the same time that you were up with your kid we established, didn't we? Which is, yeah. uh, that's the joy of empty nest. You can <laughs> go out and have a life again. Yeah, but I never liked, even when I was young, I think, I'm, I, think I was always quite middle-aged. If I hadn't pulled by 11 o'clock, I wanted to go home anyway. Yeah, you were never a trier, were you? Always the path of least resistance. No, I tried hard till 11 o'clock. Okay. And, then you know, and now I'm too tired and drunk. What time would you go out? Would that have been like an hour into your evening? Oh, or no, did I'd you go, go out, out at go, five? I'd be out at five. Watch, then, ho watch Home and Away and down yeah. the pub trying to pull. <laughs> Brilliant. Out drinking, <laughs> making myself more attractive. Let's go for an emergency question. Um, uh, 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 Your book gets a lot of visual airtime, doesn't it, in this live podcast recording? It does. Uh, for anyone listening, uh, this book has been sort of vis yeah visible most of the podcast. Yeah, of course, it's available. It's only ten pounds. For me, that's uh, three pounds off the RRP. How many do you reckon you've sold so far in the run? Well, <laughs> you glad I, I asked. The tax man's listening. About twelve. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a credit card machine. There's no way. There's no way of cheating it. No, absolutely no way of cheating it. Um, <laughs> He's literally sitting here on a pile of ten pound notes. <laughs> His throne is made out of. I mean, there's a cash. lot. There's a lot of cash in hand going on in uh, the Edinburgh Fringe. Is there? At the moment. I've not heard of that. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> there's a lot of free fringe. I hope all the free fringe people are declaring their money plus VAT uh, in their buckets. Uh, which is the best caves, Cheddar Caves or Wookie Hole? 
Well, definitely Wookiee Hole, because I'm, I'm a sort of South... Well, I, I was brought up in Dorset, rural oh, yeah. Dorset, and I, uh, what I haven't done in Wookiee Hole isn't worth mentioning, <laughs> to be honest. So, uh, yeah. Cheddar Caves is just <laughs> as near to you as Wookiee Hole. Yeah, well, I, think, well, I don't know. We always used to go to Wookiee Hole um, for... I don't know why, but that was, that was where we went. You look disappointed in my answer. Yeah, I'm from Cheddar, so you know, Wookiee Hole is better. But... Thank you. But yeah. I have to stand up for Cheddar Caves, because that's where I'm from. Did you have all the, like, pencil... The things you put on the top of pen, pencil toppers, I think they're called. <laughs> uh, did you have pencil toppers from Cheddar Caves? I, I did. Well, I didn't really have much because I was there. You know, I didn't need the. I didn't need living the in the caves. Yeah, I worked in the. I worked in Cheddar Caves for a, a couple of summers and Easter's. And did you earn more than you are this week? Um, I, I was very impressed with the amount on double time. If you worked on a Sunday or a bank holiday, you got double time. Which was probably eight pounds an hour. Yeah. But it seemed like a fortune. It was unbelievable. At least it wasn't commission only at that time in my life. I was driving an ice cream van around the army camps of Salisbury Plain mm. on a commission only basis. So I don't think I was making eight pounds an hour. You were selling ice cream to soldiers? Uh, well, it was mainly meant to be to their children, okay. I guess. That was the point. I mean, like, listen, I was on commission only. I'd do whatever it took. But yeah, yeah theoretically, what you really hoped for was a soldier's ailing mum who wanted a Vionetta. That was the sweet spot. But you didn't always get that. You had Vionettas in your ice cream van. Well, not many because I'd eat them as the day went <laughs> by, but I started out with Viennettas, yeah. Uh, my, I had an Arctic roll the other day. Did you? Yeah, first time in a long time. My daughter had seen, saw an Arctic. We were saying you can you have any... You know how to appeal to your younger you listeners, can have any, don't you? You can have any lollies you wanted. She, went, she said, I want that, and said, that's not a lolly, that's an Arctic roll. And I thought, oh, I'll buy her an Arctic roll. So how did she eat it? Did she just sort of shovel it in both hands? Or she did didn't it? like it. Oh, did she not? No, actually, thought it's disgusting. Which I think she's right. No, the ice cream now is much better than it, it probably was looked in those like. A, she probably thought it was a sausage roll because it looks a bit like a sausage roll, doesn't it? I gave it? her a slice. Yeah. And I let her hold it in her hands to eat it. Yeah. And she did. She liked the ice cream, but she didn't like the the uh, jam and stuff. You're such a great parent, honestly. Yeah. I wish I'd taken some lessons from you back when it wasn't <laughs> too late. Yeah. Well, I like ice cream, so I'm very happy to buy her any kind of. And I'm, I eat ice cream. It's all I've been eating all Edinburgh. Is it? Soleros. They're ninety-eight calories. But not if you eat six of them. I think you need to go on Jessica Foster Q's Hoovering podcast. Oh, I yes. think that's yes. Have you you know about that? It's no, all I about all about eating. Okay. Yeah. So I'll put you in touch. Put me in touch. Yeah, I'll yeah. Go and, I'll, she's done very well. She's been. She's nominated. up for all the awards. Oh my goodness, we're nearly out of time. Oh, this has been this has been really good fun. I hope. You sound surprised, Richard. I'm not yeah. surprised. He was like, you were invisible to me before you came on, and now <laughs> invisible no more. I fucking booked you. What do you think? What's wrong with you? <laughs> I thought I'd have some old people on at the end. <laughs> Give them a chance. Uh, if you could have one item, uh, this is a good question, I like this one. If you could have one item from any art gallery or museum and take it home and own it, what would you take? Well, you know when you have children and you think you're going to be like one of those really smug, amazing parents who takes your kids to like lovely art exhibitions yeah. and sort of really, you know, does, gives them an edifying upbringing. Obviously, none of us are those parents, but I did once make it to a Henri Rousseau exhibition at the Tate Modern. And I was feeling really quite proud of myself. My kids were probably, I don't know, two and five. And we were going around and every, being really civilised. And I was looking at people going, I know I am. I've really got this parenting thing. And, <laughs> and then um, uh, somebody dropped their uh, coffee and it went all over the floor. And my around about four or five-year-old son said very loudly, he said, what a fucking idiot. <laughs> um, <laughs> So we had to sort of walk out, and as we, <laughs> as we walked out, I was trying to pretend to sort of, I was like, I can't believe, where did you, and I sort of said in full earshot of all the kind of nice middle class Guardian reading people, I said, I said, darling, where did you learn language like that? That's a very bad word. And he said, mummy does say it, and the car to all the bad drivers. So I, was, <laughs> so I would say that it would have to be a tiger in a tropical storm as an ode to, because I think when kids swear in context, yes. that's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. That, it's kind of like, they can all swear, but he did it just how it should be said. Yeah. So, so yeah. After that, I was like, I'm not, fuck it. I'm not going to try and educate these children. They've let me down badly. Uh, I'm yeah. going to sit them in front of Teletubbies and, you know, and drink vodka. So, yeah. But, but that reminds me of that one time oh, I tried nice. to be a good parent. <laughs> yeah. Have you, have you tried to be a good parent ever? Um, I, well, I am quite, I do try quite hard. My wife swears in front of the kids all the time and did when they were little. And then I got to point and said, I think we have to stop. Are you, well, how far would the swearing go? F word, C word? Yeah, F, what yeah we, everything. I mean, I said fucking in front of them today. That's you good. You forget every now and again. And my daughter has... She said, she was saying something that sounded like fucking the other day, but it was uh, fucky or sucky or something like that. Was it fucking Arctic roll? What a fucking piece of shit. It wasn't, but... uh, So, I think she's going to... 
she's she's going to she likes talking about pooing people's faces, my daughter. So she's actually that's nice. She hasn't got the language, but she's got the imagination yeah. to be much more offensive than me. I think. I, yeah, I, I think that's good. I was happy as a child to go poo poo wee wee bottom, and I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But she's going. I'm going to poo in your face. I'm going to oh, wee. Really? Gonna wee in your face. Yeah, I think there's people now. They've all gone a bit quiet in here. They're like, this doesn't sound quiet. Poo on your new new. It sounds like you're doing a marvellous job, I have to say. It's, uh, I mean, I haven't got any trophies for good parenting, but, you know, I feel if there was one, you'd have it. I think, yeah. I'm, see, I think dads get... A t- well, I think maybe all the other dads are shit, right? But I actually do my time and do... I've given up stuff. I do... What like, have you given I up? Gave up doing stand-up. Yeah. Uh, so my wife could write books. I, uh, I do... You know, we've got a little bit of help from various places, but I do half the time. Yep. And in Edinburgh, I've done more than half the time. Yeah. And every time I say this to women, they go, oh, yeah, men never, they say that, they never do. I'm doing more than half the fucking time. Yeah, but you see... And so because of all these cuntish blokes yeah, yeah. who don't look after their kids, yeah, yeah, you, no you one believes good. that I'm doing it. I mean, have you remembered that you're telling this to someone who did 100% of the care? Because there was no other, there was no other cunt no, there. So, um, but well done to you. Yeah, I feel all you. your pain. That's not my fault. That's no, his fault. No, I, I know, but I'm just saying, saying, you know, you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get too much sympathy. <laughs> but well done for your uh, over 50% efforts. See? Yeah. See? Nothing. I, I think nothing. It, yeah, I think it's amazing. Whatever you tell them, they want you not to do. That's the problem. Women want you not to do half the work so they can have a go at you. Yeah, we don't. And want if you st- do have a half, <laughs> they still have a go at you. That's so. The lesson is, guys, don't try. That is the lesson of my Bernard man. We don't even routine. want your. We don't even want your sperm anymore. We're trying to work out how to do this all ourselves. We're going to be like dandelions. We're just going to self-fertilize. Fuck I'm you all. I'm very happy to be chained up in a dungeon. Yeah, all right, like an all right. We don't need to go there. We, talk, we said we weren't going to talk about that on stage. <laughs> So tell us about your show. Oh my goodness, it's all, the time's up. That's insane. My show is show. Invisible. It is on at the Assembly George Square Studios. It's on at ten past five uh, so that my more middle-aged audience can go and have their supper afterwards. Nice. Um, nice. And you can queue undercover if it's raining. That's the main draw. Nice, um, and it has been selling out every day. So um, so don't shilly-shally get your tickets. And, uh, and yeah. are you going to do it after Edinburgh? For the people I hope so. Um, my promoter has, has, has taken me out for dinner, which I took was a good sign. Okay. I think I ended up paying for it at my ticket sales. But hey, who's counting uh, but yes he seems to think we've got plans for this and obviously there'll be a book there'll be more articles about being uh, being uh, by then I'll probably be 65 if that helps the story uh, so yeah I will be doing stuff with this and I've got a couple of podcasty radio things on the bubble as well so good, good. yes hopefully well, lots of things will happen terrific thank you very much for coming in ladies and gentlemen give a massive round of applause Callie Beach. thank you for having me thank you that was awesome thank you. Thanks, everyone. We've got two more shows. We've got two Toms on tomorrow, Tom Tuck and Tom Rosenthal. And we've got Flo and Joan and um, uh, John Cairns on the last show. So I'm about... I, I wanted to get an average of 200 people a day. I've got to sell another 120 tickets in the next two days to do it. It's not going to happen. Uh, so thanks very much for coming. Uh, and I'll see you at the back if you're interested. Uh, see you again. Thanks for coming. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Rahalastapa at the Edinburgh Fringe with me, Richard Herring. Thank you to Pest for providing the music. Thank you to everyone at the Newtown Theatre and The Stand and everyone at GoFasterStripe.com. The producer is James Hingley. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStripe.com production. Go to rahalastapa.co.uk to find out more. RichardHerring.com slash gigs to find out who my guests are for the rest of the run. 